listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. Hello. Hello. Hi. What a week we've had this week. Uh, you're listening to the Breakfasters podcast, of course. Uh, we kicked things off with a interview with Ed Hill. I came in to talk about the Goongaree Environment Centre um, and some work they're doing around threatened species up there. We also uh, unpacked Lotto winning it. What we'll do, and uh, it's an inevitability. It's an inevitability. So uh, we're just getting out. What do we? It's um, spoonfuls of luck from the luck well. Yeah. Would you, would <laughs> you rather? Would you rather Lotto or spoonfuls of luck okay. for the rest mm. of your life? And uh, and Dan Ziffer came in to talk about his book when he attended all of the Banking Royal Commission. The book's called A Bunch of Bankers, which sounds dense, but it is a great interview. And yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, also, Laura Dunneman was our Friday funny bugger, but um, it was very quickly taken over by uh, my now fiancé, Kath Bateman. Tune in and find out what happened. Oh, live on air. Mm. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Australia has one of the worst extinction rates on the planet, with currently more than 500 animal species under threat. Today, a report was released that details the plight of the greater glider, a preposterously cute gliding possum, (laughs) which is experiencing a population crash in Victoria due to logging. And uh, here to discuss these growing problems is forest campaigner for Goongarra Environment Centre, Ed Hill. Ed, welcome to Breakfasters. Morning. Uh, Can you tell us about this report and what is happening to the greater glider? Sure. So greater glider is a large gliding uh, possum. It's actually the second largest gliding mammal on Earth. Um, And it's kind of like a koala that eats gum leaves um, and it can glide 100 metres through the air. Um, It's, yeah, ridiculously cute. Sounds magical. It's like a a gliding teddy bear koala. How come it's not on our coat of arms or anything like that? (laughs) Yeah, it should be. Mm. and, yeah, it lives in forests, uh, old forests that, that have large trees with hollows in them. It, it, it sleeps in the hollows during the day. And a lot of the areas that it favours um, to, to live in, the logging industry, uh, also favour to log. Um, so it's uh, on a crash course to extinction, unfortunately. Um, its numbers have declined by about 80% in the last 20 years up the East Coast. And in East Gippsland, where we're from, we know that there's a, over a 50% decline in the last 20 years uh, because most of the, its habitat is in areas that are scheduled for logging operations. It's got really small home range of just one to four hectares, which is about the size, like the MCG is about like nearly two hectares. So it's like oh, a couple right. of footy fields. Um so and it doesn't move because it it can glide a hundred meters, but how's it go on the ground? It doesn't go well on the ground. It gets called the clumsy possum sometimes. As soon as it hits the ground, it's it's just it doesn't it doesn't have any muscles in its arms really oh. because it just sort of cli- it just sort of climbs with its claws and glides. So it can glide a hundred meters, but it doesn't move very much. It's mostly a pretty sedentary animal. So it, it'll get out of its hollow. Um, in the when it once it gets dark and it'll glide to a feeding area where it'll eat eucalypt leaves and it'll basically just hang around there and eat all night before gliding back to its hollow. So, you know, living in an area of one to four hectares um, means it's really vulnerable to the impacts of logging because logging coops in Victoria are on average about thirty hectares in size. So if you've got a logging coop in high quality greater glider habitat, uh, it can take out 
a number of home ranges and actually lead to localised extinctions, um, which is what the Victorian Scientific Advisory Committee um, have advised um, the state government, and they did so two years ago when they uh, recommended to the Environment Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio, to list this species um, as vulnerable to extinction under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act, which is a our state um, threatened species legislation. Uh, and we've released a report today that documents over 600 hectares of how greater glider habitat where greater gliders have been found by spotlighting surveys, either conducted by the community or the government. Um, 600, over 600 hectares of, of known greater glider habitat has been logged since the government listed this species as threatened. Um, now, they're supposed to uh, produce an action statement, which is meant to set out... Um, uh, a plan for how the species is going to be managed and how those threats like logging are going to be managed and how it's going to be protected. Um, that was supposed to be done. The government said it would take six months since uh, once it was listed. It's now been two years and logging has uh, just gone on unrestricted in really high-quality habitat. And um, it's just shocking because, I mean, as... Many Triple R listeners will know, um, you know, Australia's in, in the midst of an extinction crisis and that's being made worse by government neglect and inaction, particularly mm. by this supposedly progressive government here in Victoria, the Andrews Labor government. Yeah. Is there anything more paradoxical than an action statement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very true. What, what is the relationship between the Victorian government and the logging industry? Um, well, the logging is conducted in Victoria by government owned logging company uh, called Vic Forests. So they are like a government logging agency. It's kind of like Vic Roads, but instead they're loggers. Um, and they operate on public money um, and they're given allocated areas of state forest, which are areas of public land, which belong to all Victorians. And they log those areas and sell the timber. And most of the timber is unfortunately going to paper um, there's this thing called the Wood Pulp Agreement Act, um, which uh, actually provides a legislated supply of um, timber to be pulped at a mill in Gippsland at Maryvale, and um, that ends up being turned into reflex paper. Uh, so the relationship between the government and the logging industry is pretty close because it's the government that's actually doing the mm. logging. It's their logging agency that's, um, that's doing it. Um, and but the the industry is in a constant state of decline and we're kind of at this critical point in time now where we can either continue to log these forests as we've been doing and we'll end up with a trashed environment and very little resource left and very few jobs or we can take action to protect what remains and put in place a fair and just transition to transition the jobs in that industry into sustainable jobs that can be um, sustain into the future. Mm. And is there a timeline that you're, the, in particular for the greater glider, that you're most concerned about? Um, well, it's critically important that right now that we uh, at least act to protect the areas where we know the species lives. And our report documents um, hundreds of areas where the species has been found that are scheduled for logging. There's um, over 2,000 uh, hectares of habitat that we know greater gliders live in that um, is earmarked for logging um, and the protection of those areas 
really needs to happen now. We don't have time. Um, with climate change, with increased severity and frequency of bushfires um, and the changes that are going to occur in our ecosystems as a result of that, we need to control the threats that we can now and one of those threats is logging. It's How extensive is logging in Victoria now and are there any restrictions on it? It's fairly extensive across eastern Victoria in areas in the central highlands, north and east of Melbourne, um, in areas that are proposed for protection in the Great Forest National Park. So uh, the forests in the Yarra Ranges, out near Warburton, Marysville and east to Borbore. Um, and then also in the far east Gippsland where, where we're from, uh, east of Bansdale um, and around the towns of Orbost and the Eridundra Plateau. It's about 3,000 hectares of forest that are logged every year. Um, uh, so it's, yeah, the impacts are, are still, they're still happening. And Victoria actually logs more native forests than any other state in Australia. Most people think Tasmania is the, yeah. you know, the logging mecca, um, but things have changed down there. Um, they set aside a lot of high conservation value forests and reduced the size of the industry down there a few years back. And now Victoria is logging more native forests than any other state. And what's the what's the role of the courts in this tussle? Um, yeah, well, the logging is uh, subject to regulations that are supposed to limit its impacts when it comes to um, protecting certain environmental values. However, what we've seen in Victoria is um, a failure to appropriately regulate the industry. Um, and that means community groups like us are getting out there and, and finding species and environmental values that are most, meant to be protected by law and we're pressuring the government to follow their own rules. And when they don't, uh, they often end up in court. Um, so there's been a number of really high-level, important court cases um, that have been brought by community groups to hold the state government and their logging agency accountable to laws they're supposed to be uh, following. And there's actually a massive court case that's just finished trial uh, a couple of weeks ago in the federal court which is brought by a community group called the friends of leadbeater's possum and that's challenging the legality of logging in areas of greater glider and leadbeater's possum habitat in in the federal court um and we were involved in another court case um with a a, a group that's um that we work closely with um, that finished trial earlier this year and we're waiting for, a, for an outcome of that and that was in relation to continued logging of old growth forests in East Gippsland. Um, so hopefully that court case will result in some additional protections but it's a pretty perverse situation where it's up to the community group to... Uh, community groups mm. who are, are very small and under-resourced to take these sorts of actions to hold the government well, and their logging agency That was one of the things that came out of the Four Corners report that we kind of referred to earlier about the extinction crisis that we're facing was that so much of the work is being done by activist groups right now mm. uh, as opposed to kind of coming from anywhere else. So if people want to help at all, what would you suggest that they do to get involved? Sure. Um, well, you can get in, you can jump onto our website, which is just gecko.org.au. That's G-E-C-O.org.au. Um, and you can sign up there um, for email, chuck your email address in and sign up. And we run citizen science uh, survey camps every every sort of three or four months. The next one will be in spring when it warms up a bit, probably around Melbourne Cup weekend. And you can come out and, and see these forests, um, come out for a camping trip, experience some of these amazing forests and um, get out there and help us. maybe take your local member as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can, yeah, you can also... Um, 
there's a petition you can sign on our website. But, yeah, also write to your local member, request a meeting. And if, if we go to gecko.org.au, will we see photos of the... Yes, you'll, you'll see. You'll see, cute creature. you'll see a lot of photos of cute animals and um, horrible, devastated forests that have been uh, logged. Rightio. Well, uh, Ed Hill from the Forest Campaign for Gunga Environment Centre. Thanks for speaking with us this morning. Thanks, Eves. Three triple R. One of my favourite subjects to talk about is Lotto, and um, also it happens to be one of the. Um, it's certainly a favourite of um, Andy who makes our coffee in the morning. So while he's making coffee, we often chat. Talk about Lotto. Is he, does he buy a lot of tickets a lot? Oh, mate, loves it. Uh, and he, he he's often the one that brings it up. Um, <laughs> and Because he, he's got a – sorry about this. He's got a mate um, whose who's dad has won Lotto twice. That's insane. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, like, years apart from each other. But it's, like, that classic thing, why are you still buying tickets? If you, mm, if so you already won. The rest of us. Yeah. But I suppose maybe, you know, you just get the, the taste and go, oh, yeah, why not? Keep going. Um, but he – so we were talking about, you know, the classic um, – I said, you know, because he's like, oh, I've got a chicken. And said, and he's saying like, who, who, who he would tell if he'd won. He goes, I just tell you know a couple of months. I said, no, you don't tell anyone. You don't tell anyone except for you know, go straight to a financial advisor and you know, or a lawyer, and don't tell anyone else, not even your mum, um, and then work out where you want all your money to go. No disrespect, to Andy's mum. No, <laughs> uh, he's lovely. Um, but um, he said that uh, he told me the story about how he had a mate who said that if he won, he wouldn't tell anyone, but he'd, like, you know, call his mates and say, like, at one at a time and just go, hey, listen, I'm I'm really um, really down uh, on, on really strapped for cash at the moment and um, I'm just really struggling and um, I, I, just, I need to pay a bill. I was wondering if you could lend me 600 bucks to, to pay this bill. And if they, <laughs> obviously, if they went, oh, yeah, I'm happy to help you out, then he'd go, oh, nah, I'm happy to help you out and give them lots no, of money. I don't like this conditional money giving. <laughs> How's this right? I'm like, and I just said, well, your friend's an arsehole. Yeah. He's just reward. What if you're in a position of not being well, able can't, to help? You can't help. It's the people that need the money the most and your friend's just making the rich richer. Like if I've got 600 bucks to, to lend a mate to pay a bill... I don't need your lotto money. No, totally. What an asshole. Anyway. And it's so conditional and weird. It's like a test. I don't like the idea of being tested yes. by someone. What if I'm also just having a shitty week and you've just rung me and I'm like, no, I can't help you right now. Get your life yeah. together just because I've had a bad week. Like and then you- I ring you back a bit later and go, I'm really sorry. I was in a bad mood. Yeah. You know, I can't have any money, but I hope you're okay. Yeah. You know, then it's too late. And I don't like it. Yeah. No, it's rubbish, it's isn't rubbish. it? It's rubbish. And it's, oh. like, Did Andy pass on this vibe that uh, you and Sarah both hold? <laughs> <laughs> what do you not? You don't, you don't no, agree? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those silly games, are, you know, the money would be tarnished. You couldn't enjoy it. No. No, yeah. even that, you wouldn't. You get, Because you'd be like, you just tested me. Yeah, exactly. I don't want your money. Yeah. Well, mm. I do, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll take it. Mm. <laughs> by all means. I, I think he was a bit surprised by it. Like, he, I think it was a bit of a realisation. I think he, you know, was like, oh, isn't this kind of a funny, like, thing that you'd... I'm like, no, your friend's an art. And he went, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of an asshole, isn't Because I, I mean, as I've said, I don't want to win lottery. It's, you know, I'm happy to Too be the recipient. Pressure. No, I don't want to win it because I don't want to use up my luck in that way it would it's kind of like you have that much luck to use up yeah that's fair that's fair (laughs) 
And look, I, no, I detect the poison in the question. <laughs> oh and no, no, I agree. No, I no. genuinely just think, I always think, like, I just love the idea that there's a well of luck yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're getting two bites of the lotto cherry, that's yeah. overdoing it. Yes. They've stolen some of your yeah, luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to – it's kind of like probably why I don't celebrate a birthday because it's it's just an it's an unearned celebration. It, this is something that I'm working on. Ooh. And so lotto money is free money that I haven't earned and therefore I can't. Oh. So I'm happy to be the recipient like of it. I feel like I've just cracked your head open and right. got a real insight into and the machinations. it's the oozing problems. <laughs> Uh, but my my mum, her dream is to like buy all her kids a house, but she buys lotto <laughs> tickets every week, so she's gradually losing her own house in order to fund everyone else's. It's quite beautiful. Wow. Do you think that there's a? Um... Would you really be upset if you won lotto? Uh, what about a reasonable amount of money? Here we go. What about a million dollars? Reasonable. Well, reasonable in that it, it's not gonna. There's less. It's not gonna transform your life in a way that's gonna be problematic. You, yeah, you, you, yeah. You can't give a. You don't. Have, you're like, not expected to give a million if to you every look family at, member it, and every. It's it's a. It's how much a house costs like, in Melbourne. <laughs> L- Lin- Lindsay Fox. He. Uh, you know, there was a problem a few years ago because the locals complained because he would park his. Uh, he would land his helicopter on the grounds of Melbourne High where he attended and he lives in Turak and it's like and so he landed it there and he was a student at Melbourne High and I don't think he was particularly wow so to really and I, I'm not a his psychologist or anything but it seems as though that is a uh, you know, a way to lord your wealth over your upbringing. So, so a million dollars is a nice sweet spot where I can't afford to do anything that crazy. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I'll take a million. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Right. Good. Do you think but it'd come you... with guilt? No. Or do you feel like you'd have to tell everyone about it? That's what I'm interested. You in. never has their rules about don't tell anyone. Do mm. you, would you feel so guilty not? Because I, I always say I wouldn't tell anyone, but I struggle. I act, yeah, my friends know in? that I can't keep any like I just share too much information. Yeah. I don't know that I could keep that from anyone. Oh, see, I reckon I reckon you could because it's that big. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's exciting keeping that big. That's a big secret. Is it exciting? I think it'd eat the guilt. Would eat me up. No. What do you feel guilty about? You're going to make someone really happy later on, and that's why it's easy to keep it a secret. My problem would be being a philanthropist, being so wealthy and feeling oh. and doling out the money. And ju- weighing up which causes are best, and then one cause means another one misses out. But would you would you do an anonymous anonymous? <laughs> Can I just say that someone just tweeted <laughs> uh, messaged in to say that we've both been out outcatholicized by you? <laughs> <laughs> but the Catholic guilt is so strong with you. That's hilarious. Uh, very funny. You, uh, <laughs> go back to your well of luck. Yeah. I oh, know this do well you, of luck, but I really want to know where it is. Mm. I know. Do you do you prefer just to take um like little cupfuls of luck at a time or are you like you don't want to take a whole bucket oh, full of time? Oh, I wouldn't want a bucket. No, no I mean I wouldn't want to draw that much attention to myself with a big dirty luck bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty luck bucket. <laughs> Sounds like the name of a strip club. So you want you want that well to you just want to dip into the well. Oh, all I want the time. a lifetime and no one notices the teaspoons, little, yeah, little teaspoons, teaspoons of luck accumulating like this. You know, this. but what's a what, teaspoon what of t- luck yeah, look like? Yes, money wise. Just no, no, in, just in life. In life. Oh no! I mean, if you get a nice, I mean, if you get a nice tax return and it is tax time, yeah. would you tell someone? 
No. <laughs> no. But this well but, of luck doesn't have to be money. So yeah, if, you, yeah. if, you, if you just want these teaspoons, in, in what form does that teaspoon of luck come to you? Oh, you know, like if you, uh, like a, if you apply for a rental property or a, that you really like oh. and you get it, or if you, or if you come around the corner, like you're walking to the tram stop and you come around the corner and the tram's the there, the tram's there, and you yeah. just walk straight on oh. it. Yeah, that's good. Would you for forego a charmed life? Yeah. Mm. What would you? Yeah. Would you be willing to forego those little bits of luck for? For a big win, and no, I wouldn't. Absolutely not. No, the the joy that happens when you turn up and your transport is there is a gift that I would never forego. You wouldn't forego that for ten million bucks <laughs> and a helicopter, so you and don't a, have to worry. You could land tram. in your old high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then what? And now I have to wait for trams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you could take your helicopter. But I can so just chop them on the way to where I need to be. Just buy a tram. <laughs> <laughs> Three triple R. Repercussions continue to be felt from the Royal Commission into misconduct in the banking, superannuation, and financial services industry. And journalist and author Dan Ziffer covered the whole complex and sordid shebang for ABC Radio TV and online. He's written a book about the experience called A Wunch of Bankers, a year in the Hain Royal Commission, and he joins us now. Dan, welcome to Breakfasters. It's lovely to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, You're right that you didn't think the Commission would find this much dirt. Uh, as someone immersed in all the cases, what, what are some of the most egregious examples that stick in your mind? Yeah, look, there have been so many recent inquiries into the financial services industry in the parliament, different state bodies. We really thought all this stuff's been pretty raked over. you know. And then you find yourself sitting there and there are executives trying to explain how they charge life insurance premiums to people that they know are dead. <laughs> uh, what do you do with that? Mm. Uh, I mean, probably the one that's had the most impact for everyone listening is you almost certainly have lost money and will soon find it back in your bank account that was taken for fees for no service. Now, initially, this was thought to be a couple of million dollars for each bank. It's now ballooned out to well over a billion dollars that's been taken from Australian consumers, mainly in small amounts, uh, that you'll see back in your account. And this is literally what it says on the tin. They've taken a fee for something that they knew they hadn't done. Mm. In many cases, they really knew they weren't providing the service and they absolutely knew they were taking the fee and they kept doing it. Mm. So, you know, this has had uh, massive repercussions. I mean, uh, I remember talking to the CEO of ANZ. There are two million accounts that this has happened to. Now, some of those might be multiples, might be a person who has a savings account and a credit card, but that is a lot of people that this has impacted. So that's probably the broadest one. And you've seen that really usher in a lot of change once people have started to realise just how impactful some of the scandals exposed to this commission have been. And the the culture of banking uh, is something that you explore uh, pretty masterfully. The, I was reading recently, Lindsay Maxted, uh, the Westpac chairman, was talking about giving himself a pay cut and he said he understood the board didn't apply enough downward discretion to short-term variable remuneration outcomes. Yeah, what he meant was um, they'd done some really bad stuff and <laughs> instead of cutting bonuses, they just paid everyone their full whack. Yeah. Uh, which is probably what he should have said. Uh, so, so how do you uh, immerse in this world of double speak and euphemism and acronyms and how does that affect what happened to the finance industry? Oh, it's part of 
what caused the problems is that they spoke in this really kind of coded corporate way where you have to really think about it. You're like, oh, right. What they mean is we should have cut bonuses for all that illegal activity that was happening. Mm. Uh, So they really insulated themselves. And part of the reason why uh, there'll almost certainly be no criminal successful criminal prosecutions out of the commission is that so much of the language the way that things were written down and decisions were made is really diffuse it's really uh captured by this kind of corporate speak so when people were in the box i mean probably the most fascinating thing about commissioner hayne and rowena or qc and the people who worked on the commission is how they just absolutely sliced through that they would just go back and say no no i'm going to ask you again mm. and i'm going to keep asking until you actually answer in such a way that we can understand what you're saying. It seems also the customers are beholden to the letter of the law, whereas the people writing the rules themselves or, uh, you know, give themselves a lot of slack. That was the one of the most astonishing things is that for customers, if they would ever get in a problem with their bank, the clauses and the contracts they had, they might as well have been chiselled into stone. They were immovable. But yet when the executives would get in and they'd talk about, well, we don't give effect to this part of the document and we do give effect to this part of the document. And and they'd be picked up and say, I'm sorry, what? You're saying that this is real, but this is something you don't do. They're both written on the same piece of paper. And you'd have these, like, you know, Commissioner Hayne, former High Court judge, as high as you can go in the law in Australia, would just be saying, I find this very curious that in this contract some bits do occur and and some bits don't occur because it's not written down that this is what happens, but you're just saying it. And they're like, yes, that's what happens. (laughs) Yeah, run me me through that one again. There were some really... um difficult to read anecdotes in this book of personal stories of people were there any that struck you the most or was it ever quite difficult to sit there because you sat there every single day hearing this stuff come through what what was when did it become too difficult oh look it's really hard i mean these are people uh who have had the worst experience of their life they've literally been destroyed by the actions of financial institutions almost uh, to a person they have lost their relationship uh, they have lost their home uh, they have lost most of their friends through their tenacity in trying to see this situation through and through it's what it's caused um, it's very difficult and beyond the Royal Commission I sat in a lot of people's houses or mm. the houses they used to own um, and you really feel the pain I mean I took a trip up to uh, me and Dara and the Western Downs in Queensland which is about six hours inland, like straight inland from Brisbane. And I went with a farmer, Bill Mott, who used to have a $22 million farming empire, uh, four plots of land that each of his children farmed together, uh, and he lost it all. Now, he's still fighting the National Australia Bank and seeking a resolution there, but, you know, you're walking on the land that he used to own and you're talking to his son who lives in a a shed at at the old neighbour's house overlooking the land he used to own, and it is really difficult. Mm. You know, these are people who just cry a lot, uh, and they should. They've lost everything. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about some of the plays involved? You describe uh, Commissioner Hayne as having resting judge face. <laughs> uh, well, what sort of vibe are, are characters like him putting out there and, and how did that affect the, how the commission played out? Well, the good news is that the Australian public had some of the sharpest minds in the country working on this. Uh, I, when I think about uh, Commissioner Kenneth Hayne, uh, Melbourne resident, uh, I think that, like, 
when he had to retire from the High Court because he was he'd reached the age limit, they looked around Australia and his household is so smart that they chose his wife, Mary Gordon, <laughs> to replace him. Like, that's how smart his household is. Uh, the lead counsel, uh, Rowena Orr QC, who you might remember had the glasses. I think if you saw a picture of her, you go, oh, that's her. Uh, and Michael Hodge, the baby-faced assassin uh, from Brisbane, who, uh, you know, they really took apart these incredibly complex and deliberately complex structures of the banks, the way these products were created in a very short period of time. You know, when I do more research, I'd find out from the people who were briefing them just how short a window of time they had to get this stuff into their head, whilst during the hearing sleeping sometimes just a few hours a night uh, and going up against uh, these extremely senior executives managing hundreds of billions of dollars in assets who were totally across uh, their products. So, uh, look, they did an amazing job in a very, very brief window of time to expose to the Australian public the problems in financial services and, in many ways, uh, how they're being taken for a ride. And just as a bit of a trivial side note, Michael Hodge QC is a bit of a musical theatre buff. Uh, yes, he, he and his brother wrote, I'm going to get the name wrong, I think it was Clinton the Musical, uh, which I'm not making this up, uh, played off-Broadway, toured to multiple nations, uh, went to the UK, went to a few others, won awards at Edinburgh, I think. Uh, so yeah, he's got a bit of flair. There's, there's no doubt about that. And he certainly was, uh, when you're in this, you know, hot uh, courtroom full of legal terminology for eight hours a day. He certainly was a master at foreshadowing. He'd just kind of say something like, oh, this is going to come back. <laughs> I mean, see, like, you, know, you know, people say things like, yeah. so when people force people to say something like, well, that would never happen. You're like, oh, let's, let's go to the document. Uh, and, and now that you experienced it all and you uh, were affected by it in many ways, are you satisfied with the progress? Uh, look, so there were 76 recommendations coming out of the Royal Commission and uh, Commissioner Hayne was what's called a black letter lawyer. So he follows the law as it is written, you know. And so the thing that kind of was exploding his mind and would often ask questions is like, here it is written down, why is it not happening? And so pretty much all the recommendations were things that were like obvious but good. So making relationships more transparent, making fees uh, more transparent and less murky, you know, so really clearing up these lines. So uh, when you have a relationship with a financial planner or a mortgage broker or a bank, you know what you're getting out of it, you know what you're paying for it, and you're aware and they've cleared up kind of the conflicts that exist. So good things have come out of it. Uh, obviously now they have to be implemented. About half of them have to be implemented by the federal government, uh, probably about a third by the regulators and a section by the bank. But most of the work needs to be done by others. But really a lot of the work has been done just by exposing these problems and making people more aware that they really need to read their statements. Mm. You know, it, like they do send them out in the envelope. You should open it. Do oh, open oh, it. Oh, if, you're, if you're listening, open the envelope. Or get them emailed. Or get them emailed, yeah. whatever. But do actually read them because... Where you have your superannuation, if you're working, and where you hold your money and the mortgages you have and things like that, like, 
it is really important and actually examining them will give you not just a better sense of control over your finances, but you'll work out if there are problems and you'll work out if you can get a better deal. Yeah. What do you think the state of financial literacy is in this country? Appalling. Um, and that's totally understandable. My The one that always gets me is when I'm at the supermarket and at the checkout they have a printout saying, hello, you may have recently received a call from the Australian Tax Office or the Australian Federal Police demanding you pay thousands of dollars in iTunes gift cards immediately or you'll go to jail. It's a scam. And, like, to think that you have to tell people that the AFP or the tax office don't actually call you up and demand gift cards... Uh, or you'll go to jail, is terrifying. Mm. But it's a real thing. People have low financial literacy. They do believe in these large institutions that they're doing the best for them. And it's, it is easy to become more financially literate. What is holding people back, which is totally understandable, is that it, is, it looks difficult and the products have been made deliberately complex. Mm. They've made it hard. What some of the changes that are occurring right now, things like open banking, give people more access to their data and very soon third parties and aggregators and websites are going to pop up that are going to do some of that comparison for you in the way that's occurred with private health insurance where a kind of middleman has started to emerge that will say, okay, here's your details, here's what you want, these are the best deals. Now, that's not a perfect system, but it does at least put some competition into the market and that's something that really hasn't existed in banking. Um, how, if at all, does a Morrison government affect any of the outcomes of the Royal Commission? Uh, it- it probably takes some of the wind out of the sails. They didn't want the Royal Commission, even though they called it in the end, forced forced to essentially by the defection of several national members. Uh, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party didn't differ too much on the recommendations, except when it came to mortgage brokers, which was one of them. I think it just might take some of the impetus out. I mean, already there's been a lot of pushback. So the lobby groups for financial planners are saying, hey, by next year we're meant to have a bachelor's degree rather than just a one-day online course for managing millions of dollars in people's futures. Do we really need that bachelor's degree? Really? Mm. You know, they're already starting that kind of pushback. Uh, So it will be interesting to see. I think most of the uh, regulations, most of the recommendations will change over time, but the kind of broader issues around banking, uh, they might take a different tack to the Labor Party. This is without taking into account the biggest factor, which is technology. Things like uh, Facebook's cryptocurrency and digital disruptors and what's called neobanks, which are online-only banks, could well have much more of an impact on banking than any of these recommendations. And just finally, uh, you got to be privy to a lot of bankers' internal emails that they probably never expected to be public. You saw them under pressure on the stand. Did you get any tips on uh, how to be a... How to be a millionaire? Oh, I think so. How to be a good witness in the Royal Commission. Uh, uh, look, how to be a millionaire. Uh, probably the best way is to get into uh, some kind of financial service business. So I'm not, not going to lie there. Uh, don't go into journalism um, or community radio. Uh, just going to put that out there. Uh, looking at some very happy people who have made terrible choices. Um, 
financial services is well paid and look if you work in the compliance field of it expanding rapidly uh, so you know there's certainly some really great opportunity there and look these organisations do employ tens of thousands of people who do really good work and the good news out of the Royal Commission is that almost every single scandal that we heard about was raised internally there was a junior staff member an IT person in Bangalore you know a, a person a teller on the front line saying I think this is wrong or I don't think this is working the problem was it just couldn't penetrate that upper layer. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. We've been speaking with author and journalist Dan Ziffer, whose book A Bunch of Bankers, A Year in the Hain Royal Commission, is out now through Scribe. Thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. It is indeed Friday, and to partake in the birthday festivities, we're joined by Friday funny bugger, Laura Dunneman. Thanks, Daniel. Hello, everybody. Hello. Happy birthday, Jezza. Do you think you're going to get any of those text messages you asked for? <laughs> well, let's, you know, it's early day. Early, early day. day. Well, it's 7.45. We've only got an hour and 15 minutes left of the show, so technically we've crossed over halfway, and no one's texted you. But no. We well, all wish you a beautiful, big, happy birthday. Thanks very much. For Sunday, but also for today, because yep. it's more of a birthday week, isn't it, when you have your birthday? I think, we'll, yeah, it starts from today. Yeah, yeah. it's the pre-penultimate birthday. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I'm not going to talk about birthdays um, today. That's I'm okay. I'm going to talk about something else. I don't know if I've – I think I've mentioned this um, on the show before, but I'm actually getting married later on in the year, oh, and yes. so I'm in wedding, wedding planning prep at the moment, and I'm at the stage where I have to choose what song I'm going to walk down the aisle to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and so it got me thinking about, like, the cheesiest – love songs and like really really tacky horrible love songs mm-hmm. and so I want to talk about that today I've got a few written down first of all do you guys have any particular really cheesy love songs that you like or that you share with your partner uh, Daniel oh it's still I want to know it's still at the committee stage um there's there are there are some option I want money that's up there <laughs> Uh, my, my, I don't have. We don't have a cheesy one, but my brother had Shania Twain. You saw the one at his wedding. They, yeah. they, they did the dance to um the one. Oh, you're look still out. the one I want yeah. to <laughs> look how far we come, come on now, baby. baby. Not man. And I feel or, like um, a you woman. You don't impress me much. <laughs> <laughs> I told Sarah just then that she doesn't need to play any songs today because I'll just sing them. I know. <laughs> and you're all I'll regret it already. What about you, Jezza? My brother had um, that still, but also there was another couple of uh, like songs from that album. That don't, but don't you and um, Kath have a shit one? I remember talking about this with oh, you before. Oh, gosh. What is it? Do you? Oh, I, I can't remember. That's why I was started talking about Shania Twain again. Is this it? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Kev hates it. Does she? But it I, is it. Is I'm this, a, what is yeah. it? It's cheerleader. Yeah. Here we go. Is this a love song? Yeah, listen to the words. Oh, are we dancing now? <laughs> oh, oh, what's going on? Oh, what's happening here? Kath's here right Kath's now. just walked in Morning, the door. Morning, everybody. Geraldine's partner, Kath. What are you doing? This is our song. Yeah, it is, isn't it? 
And Geraldine, this is such a surprise. You've walked in Did with a big know about box. This? I'm not going to say whether I knew about this or not. This is a bit of a break in programming. Uh, Friday Bunk, Funny Buggers has been interrupted by <laughs> Geraldine Hickey's partner, Kath. Kath, how are you? Good morning. Um, I brought you a present. Did you? Because it's your birthday on the weekend. It is. And uh, I don't know if Jez has talked about this, but um, when I asked her what she wanted to do for her 40th, she said, I want you to organise me a surprise party. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm organising her a surprise party. It's a big surprise. And so this is the beginning of the surprise party. (laughs) 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 All right. And basically, it's kind of like a pass the parcel, except you don't have to pass it around. Okay. You get to open all of the all of the parts, and it's some clues to what's going to happen this weekend. Oh God, there's a lot of effort that is okay. So right, so you got to start opening it. Can all I right. just tell you how miserable Geraldine has been since this I morning? Have, she was been... so miserable this morning. I've not she been said miserable. I walked in and, been... I, and I saw some flowers, and I thought that was the surprise, <laughs> and it wasn't. And look at this. And here we go. All right. So, okay, I can be so brutal with this She's paper. opening up the present. I'll let you focus on the wrapping, Geraldine, so you can get away from the mic. She's opening up the present. There's a big box, and she's going to take the lid off the box. And what have you got there? I have... It's a board game. Oh, wow. It's the game of life, which is um, what I'm living right now. <laughs> I got wait, okay. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, there's that's, more layers. There's more layers. Oh, oh, I, little... I thought it was like I open one now. And no, then you keep going. There's more no, later. there's many layers. So that's a, that's one of the clues for your surprise. Is that right, Kath? Yes. Yeah, so this yeah. is clue number one. Clue number for your one. Surprise party. Now Geraldine's oh. going to open clue number two. All right. This is so exciting. So many little surprises. Wine. Yes. A bottle of red wine. Ooh. I love wine from Kaleski. Great, Shiraz, love it. And a tiny little box. Yeah. Ooh. What's in the little box? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, it's the third clue. Kath? Oh, no. Why isn't there oh, anything on. in there? Forgot, you forgot sorry. to put it sorry, in guys, there. Sorry, guys, I forgot. Oh, here There's it is. a third box there. What it is. is that? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> is that. <laughs> Everyone playing at home. Sorry, guys, I'm on my knees, so I had to get away from the mic. <laughs> yeah, so Kat's gotten down on one knee, everybody. So and you? she's got a little jewellery box that she's opened up. And what's inside, Geraldine? It's There's a ring in there, Ooh. a very beautiful, sparkly, perhaps a certain type of ring. M- maybe a certain type of ring. Yeah. Is this right? So I'm going to awkwardly do this because the mics aren't quite... <laughs> Let me get it down lower for you. I'm not a radio person, guys. I don't know how to work the mic. So, um, happy birthday. Thank you. But also, will you marry me? Of course I bloody will. This is... um, (laughs) Play the song. Play that song. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, This is, you know, I know... Thank you. Um, I don't know. She's putting it on her finger, everybody. She's putting the ring on. Um, I love you. Thanks very much. Oh, now they're kissing! <laughs> it's so nice to see you. <laughs> Three, triple, ah. Oh. You are listening to The Breakfasters on Triple R with Sarah. Daniel and Geraldine, also in the studio uh, is Geraldine's uh, new fiancé, Kat. <laughs> and Laura Dunham is also still here. <laughs> Um, if you just tuned in, uh, Kath did surprise Geraldine on her birthday by 
proposing to her live on air and Geraldine is... I'm still, stop crying. Crying. I'm still crying. <laughs> However, one of the responses between the songs was, I won't have enough time to do a load of washing today, will I? <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about, you know, life goes on, you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm having a very, very good time. And um, you, you seem very smug with yourself. Kath Bateman. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with myself. Um, oh, what a surprise. I can't believe how... I can't believe that we managed to pull this off. Well, there was also learning more about the uh, nefarious organisation. Is Kathy's dropping... Sending photos, because Kath has been out of town for a little bit and Geraldine hasn't seen her. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been dropping photos, but they weren't current. You were giving the impression that you were still out of town. They're only a few hours old. Yeah, yeah, but that's even per- that's Still, more perfect. Last... I think we need to contact ASIO because we've got <laughs> spy potential right here. Totally. Well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> do, do you know, Kath um, told me that she um, could have had a job with ASIO, but, you know, you declined. But it's an ongoing, wow. did you really decline? Oh, my God. Totally. This mm. whole thing could be yeah. a, a project. Fine. Well, let's talk about it on air. <laughs> Now I feel uncomfortable. How much, how much planning did g- went into this? Because I'm finding out little bits and pieces as we go along. It's not like you just rocked up to the station and came in and no. got on, dropped down on one knee and said, "Will you marry me?" And I said, "Of course I bloody will." Um, and then I was very professional, and until we were off air, and then I've been crying ever since. <laughs> but through tears of joy. <clears throat> And happiness and just being overwhelmed. But, yeah, how much went into this? I, c- I can't remember. I sent Beck and Sarah a message. No, Beck's our program manager. On Facebook. Uh, oh, it was a few months ago. Yes. Just to check in to see whether or not it was allowed. Yeah, and to lock in this date before You've the wedding. You've known for months. Yeah, mate. Do you know how freaking hard it's been? There's a few times <laughs> where I felt like it almost... Beck was Beck was the most upset by this because she she said she was so scared she was going to accidentally just say it out loud to oh you. Oh my god! Beck what, has four. months. Months. I'm just looking back on my messages from Kath. I got a message on the 15th of May, so you probably would have been contacting Beck around the start of May, I guess, which is ages ago. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been around then. I just and I'd been planning it since before then, but I just needed to make sure that it was going to be allowed. That I was going to be allowed to mm. hijack oh. the studio. Oh, I'm trying oh. to. Yeah, how long ago? Oh well, my god! Actually, it was, it was wow. even longer. Uh, April. Mm. April wow. was the first conversation. Yeah, anyway, April 10th. You first te- message just to this see is, if. Well, you've. Oh. <laughs> it's it's amazing, and um, and your birthday provided the perfect cover as well. Yes, because yeah. we realised that if there was any suspicious behaviour noted by you, you'd just think it was part of a birthday surprise. And I did, and yeah. all of that was all. And even even when you bought out the, you know, because it was the first, it was the game of life board game, and I was in radio mind of, oh, what can we talk about board board games? Let's talk about what was your favourite board game you played when you were a kid, and oh, we had the the. We had that board game when we were kids. I remember getting that for Christmas one year. It's not really that great, but let's just talk about that anyway. And I then... was actually thinking, I hope she doesn't just crap on about the board game yeah. because I was like, we really need to get to the important bit. Um, <laughs> um, just for those of you don't know, who, who don't know, though, can we just uh, can you tell us how you and Kath first met? We met on OKCupid. Yeah, online. online. Ah, oh, see, the internet isn't bad. It mm. isn't at all. But we, but we. Uh, 
Yeah, we met online, but our first um, date, like you, we only messaged a couple of times before you were like, we've got to see each other. Yeah, I don't like, I don't like, or well, I don't, I didn't, obviously, because I'm taken <laughs> now. Um, I didn't yes. like <laughs> doing the back and forth and back and forth online because I just found it bred like a kind of weird sense of false intimacy. Yeah. So I, as also, soon as. I'm not into a pen, I don't want a pen pal. Yeah. So as soon as I was like, all right, you're not. You you seem okay. I was like, let's have a drink. Then then I'll be able to figure out whether or not you're really okay. Mm. You know, okay, to... Cupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we went out for for whiskey. And pretty early on, I found out that she actually knew um, a cousin of mine mm. quite well. And so then it was really handy because when I got home, I was able to message him and go, right, I just had a date with a friend of yours. Tell me all about it. Oh, you get the lowdown. Yeah. yeah. And thankfully, he was a good friend, and he. Um, <laughs> And he said nice things. Aww. So, um, and did you have any idea that this was gonna that Kath was gonna propose? Like, when did you think I, Kath was gonna propose? Can, I said I was the first to say I love you, and that was. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is getting personal. <laughs> and it was. Oh, it's because it was really funny. Yeah, it was very early on. Kath had, was dropping me off somewhere, and I. You know, I got out of the car and and shut the door. And as I was shutting the door, I said, okay, because it had to be really quick. I was like, okay, okay, bye, I love you. Slam. And then <laughs> shut the door. It was because we are at the lights. So yeah. I, I just stopped at, the, at a red light and, and she jumped out. And the favourite, this isn't going to translate well on, on radio, but basically um, she said it, slammed, and then the door slammed and I had to go. And so there was just this look of panic in her face <laughs> oh, of like, oh, oh. I, do you oh know no, what I was, oh I, was no. like, um, oh. I was like Jeff Sparrow with his... Flailing arms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, and I was just trying to... T- I, was just, I just meant it like, oh, oh, no, just, yeah, okay, okay, okay see ya. What um, you meant to say was thanks for the lift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then it was, um, I think we were about three three months in, or maybe a bit earlier, and, it, and we were just having dinner near your, your parents' place and it was, we're just the two of us having just an early dinner kind of thing and it wasn't early, I'd already had a few wines and I was quite drunk and I said, do you know what, I'm done, you're it. And then, and Kath said, do I have any say in this at all? And I said, you can do what you like, but I, there's nobody else and you're it for me. Oh. <laughs> Very romantic. How could you refuse that? Yeah. Anyway, so um, good on us. <laughs> we have to plan a wedding. Laura, any hot tips? <laughs> Um, karaoke. Oh, yes. <laughs> but Kathy's actually a celebrant. Can you marry yourself? I think I don't need to check up on this, but I'm going to assume no. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to assume that that's probably not something go, you're allowed to do. I'm going to put, put my word in here and say, if it is allowed, it's not happening. Oh, <laughs> Do no me work. take you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no work for us on our wedding day. No, yeah. Oh, it's going to be the best. <sighs> Congratulations, guys. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.